You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, I'm Sam Sanders, and you're listening to Into It from Vulture. So growing up, I used to think that TV and movies were very closely linked to societal change, especially TV. I thought that seeing more black people on TV, more integration, I thought that would make society treat black people better, maybe even pass more civil rights legislation. I thought seeing working women or single moms on TV would make society better for all women. Same with trans visibility or seeing disabled people on screen or seeing queer love. I could go on. And also, I should be clear here, this is not just my theory. But this theory doesn't seem to hold anymore when you talk about abortion. You can see a lot more storylines about abortion today. Feels like a lot more than a few decades ago. Even though public opinion hasn't really changed in the last 25 years. A majority of Americans still think abortions should be legal. And yet. And yet. Yeah. So if I get this right, y'all were deciding to tell this story about abortion in Pea Valley Right around the time the Supreme Court was signaling that it might rule yes. on Roe v. Wade, how we, did those timelines correspond? So uh, it was the it was actually the end of 2020, and so I think the Fifth Circuit um, Court in um, Mississippi basically were saying, "Okay, we got the we have to send this up." And so obviously, we just did not think <laughs> that it was going to go all the way to the Supreme really? Court. You didn't think? Absolutely didn't think. not. This is Katori Hall. It's, it's that thing of maybe, but like this is federal <laughs> law. Like there's no way that uh, the state of Mississippi is going to flip, you know, 50 years of progress. We'll hear arguments in number 18, uh, Roe against uh, Wade. And yet, and yet, and, and yes. yet, we are here court. today. Yeah. Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. And um, we're in a different America. Um, by all estimates, about half of the states are expected to um, eliminate the right to abortion. We've got uh, about a half dozen states that have so-called trigger laws that their abortion bans will go into effect either immediately... Katori Hall is a playwright and the creator of Pea Valley, a show all about this group of people working at a strip club in the Mississippi Delta. Exactly one month after the Supreme Court overturned Roe, P-Valley aired an episode about abortion, about a mother, Mercedes, and her pregnant 14-year-old daughter, Terika. Terika has to decide if she wants to carry to term. Hell, you ain't listening. Look how you ended up. You how many months pregnant? It? Hold up. How many months pregnant is you even? This episode is based on The Pink House in Mississippi. 
The Pink House was the only place that provided abortions in the state. And it was at the center of the Supreme Court case that overturned Roe. Between the time P-Valley was working on that episode and when it aired, the episode itself took on an entirely different meaning. Since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, abortion has emerged as a key issue in the upcoming midterms. Among voters who say their vote was impacted by the ruling, 69%... So what happened to my theory? This week, as we near the midterms, I want to take some time and chat about all of this, knowing that abortion is the one issue that could flip everything. We're going to talk about why abortion challenges my idea that representation on screen can change things. And we'll talk about what it would take for on-screen portrayals of abortion to actually make a change in the real world. But first, we're going to go deep on that P-Valley episode with Mercedes and Terica and how they deal with abortion. Because the episode really stuck with me. Do you think you would have written the episode differently had you expected back then that the Supreme Court would do what they did with Roe? No, because we were really looking at the year of 2020 as a parenthesis in time that we wanted to just encapsulate for the audience even into the future. I always say that oftentimes the history of Black folks If it's not relegated to the footnotes of history, it's not addressed at all. And we are using our fiction in order to tell the truth. And I wanted people to look back at season two and to almost feel like it was a historical document. So Mm. I really wanted to um, stick to the fact that in Mississippi in 2020, you could get an abortion at 15 weeks. Even though, you know, I wonder, you know, how the story would have turned out in uh, a Mississippi that, you know, it was banned. Yeah. One of the characters in your episode that deals with abortion in P-Valley says, quote, pregnancy is life and death for us. And that was very powerful. Mm. And I know who the us is, but I want you to talk to our listeners about who that us is and what that life and death means. You know, the fact that Black women have the highest mortality rate when it comes, you know, to pregnancy and pregnancy complications, the the fact that our infant mortality rate, uh, particularly in Mississippi, I think is one of the highest, if not the highest in, in the country. You know, I actually was pregnant at the time that we were filming this episode. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? Yes, yes. Okay. Very big and swollen. And I... Um, was classified as, you know, a a high-risk pregnancy because I was over the age of 40. And I actually ended up having to go into the hospital for pregnancy complications. But, you know, for Black women, it, you know, you're at higher risk. So it is absolutely, absolutely um, life or death for us. Pregnancy life and death for us. You know Serena Williams and Beyonce damn near died giving birth. Died? Yeah. And they want no 14 with their hips barely set in. Yeah, yeah, they're some of the richest women in the world. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you know, just because of a lot of different factors and issues, you know, Black women are so susceptible to this. 
Yeah. Something you did with this episode, um, I don't think I see it enough. You know, when I do see abortion on screen, usually, it's usually a plot line that's all about some moral quandary that someone finds themselves in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do I do this or not? Is it ethical to do or should I not do it? And then once that choice is made, if they want the abortion, they can just get it. But what I admired about your abortion episode in P-Valley is that, like, the moral quandary is just the start of the struggle. Mm -hmm. Because once you decide you want one, there's the logistics. Yep. You have to deal with travel. You have to deal with mean protesters. Terika had to face a 24-hour waiting period. And those logistical hurdles, I really admired you having them in this episode, but I feel like you don't see that enough. And I wonder why that is. And I want to ask you, someone Mm. who works in this medium, why is the logistical difficulty of abortion access not portrayed as clearly and openly as you did in your show with this episode? I think oftentimes it it boils down to how much real estate you have on the screen to articulate mm. the logistical challenges. Because as we all know, the logistical challenges amount to actual time. And yeah. so it's like, how how can you keep up the, the conflict knowing that there also has to be a two-hour road trip in the middle of um, an episode? Um, or a 24-hour waiting period. Or a 24-hour <laughs> waiting period. But luckily, we were able to you know frame it in such a way where we could articulate all all of those steps, which, you know, to any other person, particularly someone who lives in New York, like, that's insane. <laughs> but it's like, that is the reality, the reality to most of the South. You yeah. know, I think about a place like Texas. There was a time where, you know, a woman would have to travel, man, five hours to get, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. access to an abortion. And it's just like, wow. And now it's like, maybe now it's 10 hours just because of yeah. you know, no access now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Roe has been overturned, and that was not the case when you wrote this episode. If this character from P-Valley, Terika, wanted to get an abortion now, living in Mississippi, Mm -hmm. what would she have to do now? Like, how far would she have to go? Yeah, she... Well, if she was at 15 weeks, Mm. she couldn't even go to Georgia. Oh, wow. Yeah, at this point uh, in Georgia, it's a... a Six six weeks. You have to terminate. You don't even yeah, know six sometimes weeks. And, it's six uh, yeah. weeks. Most wow. women have no idea that they're wow. pregnant at six weeks. It may be a thing that she would have to fly to a place like New York in order to, wow. to get an abortion. That's a whole nother episode. That's a whole Man. nother episode. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Thanks again to P-Valley creator and playwright Katori Hall. You can watch the latest season of her show on Stars. Coming up, why abortions on screen look so different from abortions in the real world. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why Milk? 
Dairy Milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. We just talked about an episode of TV that got a lot right about abortion. The ambiguities of it all, the logistical challenges, all the ways, material and emotional, in which abortion can be really, really complicated. But the thing about that very good episode of P-Valley is that it's an outlier. Most depictions of abortion on screen these days, they don't usually have a lot in common with the way real abortions play out in the real world. Steph Harold studies that difference, and she wrote about it last year in the L.A. Review of Books. Her piece is called Increased Visibility, Increasing Restrictions, Abortion on TV. In her piece, Steph wrote, quote, Television has yet to meaningfully and consistently depict the hurdles that most people encounter in order to obtain abortion. I asked Steph why that's the case and if it will ever change. When we look at depictions of abortion on screen now in mm-hmm. TV and movies, what is the biggest difference now between how they happen on TV and movies and how they happen in the real world? There are a lot of really big differences. Huh. Um, so the first one, well, there's this general perception that there isn't a lot of abortion. There aren't a lot of abortion plot lines on TV and film. Um, yeah. And that's actually not true, right? There's actually huh. a long history of abortion on film, actually going back all the way to the early 20th century, to the early really? silent films. Yeah, there were really? early silent Yes, yes. Which what, silent movie? I'm very curious. Oh, there are actually quite a few. Um, there's one, the earliest one that we know about is from 1916, and it's this film called Where Are My Children? Um, and it's okay. this, you know, super racist, very anti-abortion film that kind of loosely follows the trial of Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger. It's kind of loosely based Whoa. on that. Yes, Whoa. yes, yes. Okay. Yes, and it kind of, you know, portrays this woman who's helped her friends get these safe, illegal abortions as this, you know, selfish woman who's depriving her husband of children. Hmm. So that, you know, kind of set, sets the tone for all future silent abortion movies, of which there are a couple. Um, yeah. But also goes along with this trend that we've seen over the last century, even that abortion is often, you know, portrayed as extremely unsafe, even Hmm. when you get to the era of, you know, post-Roe abortion depictions. You know, abortion is one of the safest outpatient procedures in the U.S. Less than a quarter of 1% of abortions result in any kind of major complication. Um, And if you compare that to another kind of outpatient procedure, like a tonsillectomy, it has a 9% complication rate. But on TV, about 18% of abortions result in a major complication. So, you know, over 70 times the actual complication rate. 
Also, the type of characters who have abortions on TV are very different than real-life abortion patients. Um, So the the majority of characters who have abortions on TV are white, are wealthy. They're not raising kids at the time of their abortion. It's a big departure from reality, right, where the, the majority of abortion patients are people of color, struggling to make ends meet, raising kids at the time of their abortion. Um, so we really don't see that nearly as often yeah. on screen as we really should. Yeah. yeah. You know, another thing that was in your piece in the LA Review of Books that I found really interesting, uh, you pointed out that the majority of characters who are experiencing abortion on screen today, TV or movies, they don't ever encounter too many barriers to get yes. it or right. hurdles that are financial or traveling, et cetera, they can just get it if they want it. When in actuality, it ain't that simple usually. Exactly, right. I think we found something like 66% of characters, something like that, who have abortions on screen don't encounter any barriers at all. So when they decide they want an abortion, they can kind of walk into the clinic and get one. And often the barrier that we see are the protesters in front of the clinic. That's kind of a a mainstay. Um, But we don't see you know, logistical, financial, legal hurdles that really make up the experience of getting an abortion in the U.S. today. Yeah. So then, if those differences exist, if the version Mm -hmm. of abortion that we see on screen is actually quite different from the way abortion plays out in the real world, Mm -hmm. how much does it matter? That's kind Mm -hmm. of my central question to you. Like, does it matter if it's different on screen? Yeah, and I think this is really important context when talking about this, right? Because people will say, like, of course TV doesn't mirror reality. You know, we don't expect it to, right? Especially entertainment TV. But, the you know, the truth is people spend a lot more time watching TV um, and thinking about, you know, the characters that they know and love and getting information there than they do reading about all of the abortion laws in their state, textbooks and journal articles about abortion safety. You know, so TV and film really help people make sense of the world. So we have to know what what messages that the media are conveying about abortion, um, especially because the general public knows so little about abortion, right? Research finds over and over again that people believe all these common myths about abortion, that it's rare when it's actually very common, that it's medically risky when it's actually very safe, you know, that it's easy to obtain when actually it's very difficult to obtain. A lot of people don't know about the abortion laws and restrictions in their states or are deeply confused mm. about them, right? Mm-hmm. Especially now, I can imagine, right? Because it changes day by day. Literally. Um, yeah. Literally, yeah. So TV and film can really, you know, address and challenge some of this misinformation and give people a glimpse into, you know, who gets abortions and why and, and help people grow that empathy. Yeah. So one of the things I feel like we're taught to think about popular culture and pop culture and TV and movies and the things that we watch is that things on screen can potentially have a positive effect in the real world. So in the 60s, if there are TV shows that show blacks and whites getting along, it can like Mm -hmm. help with real integration or some 20 years ago, watching Will and Grace and Mm -hmm. watching that show be gay can help (laughs) move the needle on things like gay marriage. Mm -hmm. But In your research, you found that depictions of abortion on screen are up, but also over the last decade and the last 
several years more than that, we have seen more abortion restrictions. The Supreme right. Court overturned Roe. Abortion is more restrictive right now than it was 40 years ago on average, even as depictions of abortion on screen are increasing. So either these depictions aren't having an effect at all or they're perhaps having the exact opposite effect of what creators want. Which is it? It's hard to get at the truth there. And I think there, there's something that's really appealing about thinking that, you know, if only we see more of this on TV, um, that will go from a straight line into culture and policy. But, you know, the reality is a lot more messy in a lot of different ways. Like first, I think, you know, the way that we watch TV now and consume TV is just so different than it has been in the past. Like the the number of streaming networks, the amount of, sh- of channels, um, the way that you can watch you know, TV on your phone, on your computer, on an actual TV, it's just very challenging to say or to, to expect one or two shows to have this giant effect on the entire population. So I think that's one piece. Um, and I think a- another piece that I think is really challenging for us as um, reproductive health rights and justice supporters is that abortion is, for some aggravating reason, really hard to change people's minds on. Well, all the poll numbers, it kind of seems like Americans have made their mind up on abortion and if they mm-hmm. support it or not, and that needle rarely moves. Whereas with things like interracial marriage or gay mm-hmm. marriage or immigration rights or any number of things, you can see big opinion shifts in America mm-hmm. In the span of a few years or months sometimes. Why is abortion so hard to move the needle on, even with more depictions of it on screen and other things as well? Yeah, I I think there's there are a couple of things going on. I think with a lot of those other issues that you mentioned, it's the movements have really been about supporting people for who they are, right? Marriage equality, it's like you love who you love, right? Immigration, um, it's you you know somebody, you know, who comes from an immigrant family. You know, those issues are very much about who people are and loving them no matter what, you know, regardless of what, you know, if that message is, rubs you the wrong way or not. But abortion is something you do. It's not who you are, right? So I think that is something that's tricky, even when it comes to portrayals of abortion on screen, right? Often when a character has an abortion, it's one piece of their story. It's not their entire story. It's not even the entire TV show. Whereas you have all of these other kinds of media content that kind of revolve around, you know, communities of queer people, communities of immigrant families, whether those shows are successful or not um, with advertisers or with moving audiences, you know, maybe a different question. Um, But there are no shows that focus specifically on abortion as an identity and really connecting abortion to those values that Americans really gravitate towards, like freedom, independence, family, love. Like so far, abortion is really not connected to those. Yeah. I want to talk about if you were in a writer's room and you wanted to write an abortion plot line that moved the needle the most with the folks who needed to see it Mm -hmm. and sharing information and plot that would make them more supportive of abortion, like what would you write and who would you write it for and what format? movie tv like tell me your pie in the sky abortion plot line (laughs) wow pie in the sky abortion plot line well i think honestly i would want a whole abortion tv show a whole abortion tv show do you think that's a thing that any studio would pick up i don't know i hope so Mm. um i I actually did 
interviews with, I, I want to say, 46 different showrunners and writers and producers who've worked on abortion oh, wow. plot lines in the past. And some of them said that they've pitched shows that really focused on abortion entirely, whether set in an abortion clinic or about a group mm. of people who have abortions. Um, mm. And networks were really reticent to pick it up. So then if your pie in the sky abortion plotline is an entire abortion show, yes, what is the elevator pitch for this show? I'm very curious. Parks and Rec style abortion clinic comedy. Wow. That's Wait, stop, stop, pause, pause, because I want to let this absorb. Wow. Describe for me the two leads. I'm, I am loving this. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> uh, I think we probably have, you know, some kind of like fun, passionate abortion providing team. And we get to see their, you know, family lives and their love lives that are both affected by the work that they do, but also kind of separate from the work that they do, right? They get to be these kind of full humans who come to work and have these antics at work that anybody has, no matter where you work. But it just so happens that they're at an abortion clinic, right? So they're seeing patients in their community. They're having to see people from other states. Maybe they're seeing people who are protesting their clinic, there have to be ways to make those stories really interesting and funny and to get audiences invested in these characters. Can you get the screenlit, please? please, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, like, what if they had that pony, like Lil Sebastian, delivering Mifepristone and, and Mizoprostol to people all across Pawnee? <laughs> you know, like, I think there are many, many possibilities here. Like, what about involving the people being pregnant and providing this care at the same time? You know, there are so many possibilities. Lil Sebastian can move a needle. I'll tell you that. Yes, yes, yes. Little Sebastian. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's funny. We're having this conversation about TV and movies, but in some ways, to even center the conversation around those things feels of a certain age. When I think of Gen Z, when I think of generations younger than me, mm -hmm. they are consuming different on-screen stuff. They're watching YouTube. They're watching TikTok. They're right. watching Snapchat. You know, after yes. Roe was overturned on TikTok, there was a plethora of content with people sharing their own experiences with access to abortion right. and creating content basically saying, I will aid and abet you to get an abortion, mm -hmm. even using the Chainsmokers song Paris as like the soundtrack <laughs> for some of this stuff. If we go down, then we go down together. They'll say you could do anything. They'll say that I was clever. How does that difference in the kind of content being made affect the way to approach message making around things like abortion on TikTok? It's it's different because it's more real than mm -hmm. the TV movie stuff, which is just pure fiction. Yeah, that's very, very, very true and very apt. And I think kind of similarly, it's all about different audience segmentation, right? There are people who are watching TikTok who are, are seeing all of that amazing abortion content who would not watch a lot of the, you know, mainstream TV shows that have a couple of abortion plot lines sprinkled in, if that. Um, and on the other hand, there are people who watch those kind of mainstay TV shows or even like niche shows on Hulu um, or Netflix who, who wouldn't find the information on TikTok. So I think it's really about having as many different kinds of stories in as many different venues as possible. And I think the more real people are with their experiences, whether it's, you know, a writer channeling their experience into, you know, a, a depiction on TV or whether it's people sharing their their stories and their activism on TikTok, the better, right? Because then there'll be more ways for, for audiences to connect. Yeah. You know, I, thinking about who needs to be reached by this stuff, there's a whole world of television and movies 
made for evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. made for people whose faith really influences their politics. And it's a different world. And I wonder, is this conversation even ever happening in those spaces? <laughs> Should it, could it, would it? And what would that look like? There are a couple of different distribution platforms that are just for Christian content. And they have a lot of anti-abortion movies on there. So I think when you're talking about, you know, reaching lots of different audiences, you know, my colleague Gretchen likes to say, um, you know, we're not trying to reach anti-abortion people, right? We're not trying to change people's minds about abortion. Like that's very hard. And often media is just one little piece of the broad spectrum of ways that people learn about abortion and make up their minds about abortion. Like what we're trying to do is really reach people who, who are grappling with this and who are unsure how they feel, who want some kind of permission to feel complicated about this and to understand that, you know, no matter how they feel, someone else might make a different decision than they would and that's okay. And they don't need to make laws or support laws that govern other people's decisions. Well, and even now I'm just thinking about the TV shows that still have the biggest audience. It's mm-hmm. usually always a show like CSI, those mm-hmm. hour-long procedurals, the Law & Order, SVUs, HVCs, whatever you call them now. Yes, right, But right. those shows, is there space for nuanced depiction of abortion in shows that are that literally procedural. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, there have been many abortion plot lines on both of those shows Um, and on, you know, shows like ER. Um, Well, I don't know what the modern day medical version of ER is. Oh, Grey's Anatomy Um, is still on Grey's Anatomy, obviously. Yes, of course. Yeah, obviously. Yes. Many abortion plot lines on Grey's Anatomy, too. And we actually studied one plot line on Grey's Anatomy where a mom actually... Yeah, self-induced her or tried to self-induce her own abortion um, with some parsley that she found on the Internet and ended up falling down the stairs and went to the hospital and um, they gave her a medication abortion. So that's it. It's just the pill? Two pills, actually. You'll take one medication now to block the hormones that keep the pregnancy viable then a second pill in 24 hours to help contract the uterus. And we actually found that when people watch that plot line, their knowledge about medication abortion significantly increased. So that was really fascinating to see. Shonda Rhimes teaching the children. Yes. yes. Um, But on the other hand, their support for abortion didn't change at all. So that to me, you know, again, complicates this idea that TV and and film can really change everything. You know, it's just a small piece of this. It's a small part. Yeah. And that's one of the themes I'm getting from this conversation. We are taught over and over again, you know, visibility and representation. Mm -hmm. It means so much. It means Mm -hmm. so much. And it means something. But it doesn't mean everything. It does not mean everything, and it never can. Right, especially when the representation we have doesn't actually represent the reality of what's going on. (laughs) You know, we're in a very weird time right now. Abortion is always a hot-button issue, but it's hotter than it's ever been right now. We're going to see this fight over abortion take place in several different spheres over the next several years, in courts, on ballots, all over the country. What one piece of advice would you give to visual creatives who want to, in this moment, make abortion a part of their on-screen work? Yeah, I would say listen to people who've had abortions. That would be my biggest advice. I think that that, that the, the, the voices and experiences of people who have abortions every day in this country are really missing from you know, the the top advocacy organizations and the reproductive health rights and justice movements in general, but also from 
um, you know, places where cultural power lives, right? So writers' rooms and networks. Um, and we're just starting to see some showrunners talk about their own abortions as inspiration for their work, which is awesome. Mm. Um, mm. And I think we need to see more of that and also some acknowledgement that, like, yes, as a as a straight white woman, your abortion experience was is the exception. Like, the fact that you mm. had no problem paying mm. for your abortion, getting to a clinic, taking time off for it, that's not the reality for most people in the U.S. This is an issue about love and relationships, but it's also an issue, you know, about race and class and gender, too. There you go. In your Parks and Rec style abortion <laughs> sitcom. You're probably not going to get the rights to use the name Lil Sebastian for the abortion horse. What do you call the abortion horse in your show? I'd probably call him like Lil Miso so people know what's coming. <gasps> oh, I like, like sounds that. sounds very cute, but you're like, oh, Lil Miso. Oh, Lil, Lil Miso. Doll. I see. If this show was not on the air in six months, I ride. <laughs> I have to watch this. I have to watch this. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's vital. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on and and for letting me talk on and on about this. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Steph Harold. She studies abortion in TV and film as part of a research group at the University of California, San Francisco. That group is called Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health. I also want to take some time and thank Steph's co-author for that piece in the L.A. Review of Books, Lauren Harold. Thanks, Lauren. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Jelani Carter, and Gabby Grossman. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Hannah Rosen is the editorial director of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Till then, be good to yourselves. See you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.